This is the Registry Podcast. This is the Real Perspectives Podcast, and I'm your host, Vladimir Bosanitz. For those of you new to the world of architecture or just diving into its vast ocean, Jeff Koval stands tall among the giants of modern day design. With his firm, Skylab Architecture, Colin has given the world projects that are not only aesthetically groundbreaking, but also environmentally conscious. From the awe-inspiring Hoke residence, to the yard in downtown Portland, to the Serena Williams building in Nike World headquarters in Beaverton, Oregon, Koval's work has consistently blended the organic with the urban. But what drives a man to envision the structures of tomorrow while staying deeply rooted in today's challenges? How does he keep the human experience at the heart of his designs while pioneering sustainability and innovation? Over the next hour, we'll delve deep into Koval's philosophies, inspirations, and the stories behind his iconic creations. So whether you're an architect looking for inspiration, a student of design, or just someone who's ever stopped and marveled at the beauty of a building, this episode promises to be a treat. Join us as we trace the lines and curves of Jeff Koval's illustrious journey right here on the Real Perspectives Podcast. Let's dive in. Jeff, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Excellent. Where do we find you today? Where are you? Uh, I'm in Portland, Oregon, in our studio, uh, in an inner sanctum conference room, hidden away from the street noise. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Is the firm um, fully back into the office? Uh, what are what are you guys doing in terms of sort of return to office? Have you um, uh, been grappling with that or or uh, is it is it less of an issue for you guys? Right. Uh, yeah, it's definitely an issue for, for everyone, I think. But um, generally, we we feel like we make our work better together so we we really encourage folks to be in the studio as much as possible um we, we don't really actively monitor you know attendance sure. so we feel like um we set a general principle that um we think for the type of work we do and for mentoring um folks and for having those kind of casual interactions you know it's really important to be in studio so we all try to be as much as we can, but we're also all now enabled to work from anywhere. So, yeah. you know, if, if something comes up and you want to, you know, be more efficient to be home for a morning, then and you don't have any any requirements in the studio, then you know you're welcome to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, Jeff, um, by way of introduction, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, your firm, kind of how it started, and you know how your uh, the, you know, the, you, your career got you to where you are today. Sure. Um, well, I, uh, I grew up in New York, uh, on the other coast. And, um, when I was, uh, like, I think around eight years old, um, my parents actually bought a piece of land and hired a young architect and, uh, built a contemporary house with him. A fellow's name was uh, Steve Haas. And, uh, I think at that time, you know, he was a very progressive architect in that in that area, um, and so I was really fortunate because I I was at an age when I could spend a lot of time going to the construction site with my parents and wandering around and um, meeting the contractors and seeing all the big trucks and was just completely taken by by the whole process and um, and then uh, and then I got to uh, live in this really cool house for you know, through 
through high school essentially yeah. and so that um that experience you know really kind of put me in close contact with you know what architecture can be and what it can do and um you know from a pretty early age i i was on the track of you know wanting to pursue a career in architecture and um you know did everything i could to sort of uh get into that uh field as quickly as possible so i um it started actually when I was in high school, uh, we actually had like metal shop and wood shop and drafting classes. It was, it was really pretty cool actually. And, uh, and funny enough, I was in, um, in, I remember this, uh, in my drafting class, they showed us two films and one of them was, um, the Portland building, a documentary here about Portland, Oregon, which okay. I had, you know, I had no idea existed at that moment. And the other was uh, about the St. Louis Arch, and uh, that drafting class was also really influential on me. And um, I essentially applied to go to Cornell uh, Architecture School for their summer program my junior year in in high school. Um, got in, spent um, a couple months there, had a great time, and that helped me um, get uh, accepted there for for undergrad. And so I studied. Um, at Cornell for my Bachelor of Architecture five five year degree program, and then um, uh, essentially moved out west uh, immediately upon graduation. Yeah, interesting. Do you think that that video that was shown uh, during your you know workshop, working class, and drafting class of Portland sort of continued to make that impression and influence on on you, or uh, was was there something else that sort of got you to the West Coast? Yeah, no. It, I, it was much more, uh, I mean, I grew up, um, in a family that loved to take ski vacations. And so I was really lucky to, um, spend time in Colorado and in Utah. And, uh, when I was in, I think late high school, uh, I have two older sisters. Um, one of them also went to architecture school. She, uh, went to Tulane and she, um, and she moved to Colorado. And so our family started spending a lot of time there and I just fell in love with, being there and yeah um i ended up actually having uh um a couple of summers where i would leave ithaca and go get a job in, in telluride colorado and i was a house painter one summer i was a dishwasher okay. one summer <laughs> uh you know sort of try to take a break from um the rigors of of uh cornell and um have some fun and and uh also you know do some work in a different yeah. area. So you got to the West Coast, and one of the big things that happened in, on the West Coast is you got sort of immersed into architecture right away, right? This was your, this was sort of your good good fortune. Yeah. So well, well actually, so I moved to Telluride actually after college, and I spent uh, a year there. I worked for an architect there, and um, and during that time. Um, you know that it was it was pretty early in the sort of mountain architecture kind of stylistically it was it was a relatively conservative time there was most of what was being done was um very traditional and um and i really loved being there but the the writing was on the wall that if you know if you wanted to make uh, progressive work or innovative work that you know you weren't gonna do that as a young architect in in colorado in those years um things have really you know um 
transformed i think since then but um so i i after about a year there i, I made the difficult decision to move um and uh i had some friends that had moved to portland and i had actually spent um another summer here um taking some classes uh at portland state and um during that time i'd found my thesis site for cornell and so i um I actually did my thesis on a plot of land in Northwest Portland. Um, and so, you know, looking for a city that was emerging, I'd been here, I had friends here. There, Portland's an incredible place because of its proximity to both the mountains and the and the coast. Um, and so I felt like, uh, you know, it was sort of the closest thing you could get to um, a combination of a, of, a, of a city with the mountain environment that I was living in. Interesting. And, and but you we're able to also find work in architecture, right? That's, that's sort of the, uh, that was very fortunate as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, actually it was a funny time when I, when I moved to Portland, um, I didn't have a job and I got here and, and, um, you know, Portland has been a very cyclical place. There's, there's, uh, now I've been here since 1996. So I've learned a lot about this. Um, and people that have been here for longer will definitely tell you that this is a sort of a, a boom and bust city. And, um the at the the time when i showed up um a lot of the architecture firms were not hiring um and so what ended up happening was it was actually a real blessing i ended up connecting with um a contractor and for about a year i did design build work with the contractor which involved you know doing his design work and the drawings but also having a, a tool belt on and learning how to frame walls and set doors and plumb um put in plumbing and wire electrical fixtures, do sheetrock, you know, things that are um, obviously really important uh, to understand for, you know, to be in this career. But most most architects, you know, haven't really done themselves. And um, that was a really important um, kind of foundation. And, uh, you know, you don't need to do it for a really long time, but to do it for, for a little bit, just yeah. to sort of go, go through the motions in each of the, the trades is, is really valuable. And so, um, after about a year, then I got, um, hired by a firm called Architropolis. And that was also a kind of a unique environment. Um, Michael Sizz was the, the, um, the director there and he had, um, was doing a lot of work in retail and trade show and uh, residential and hospitality. And uh, his main client was Lenny Kravitz, the musician. Um, okay. And so uh, about six months into that job, I moved to Miami for a year, about maybe a year and a half, and was the on-site kind of design build architect and uh, construction manager and sometimes carpenter for that project. Um, and so you're probably sensing a theme here, but there was a lot of um, kind of a combination of hands-on um, doing and designing that was really the foundation for 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 my early career. Um, and you know, after running a you know, pretty sizable project in Miami for a year and a half, um, I got back to Portland and was you know faced with what what are the next steps here and. Um, I didn't really want to go back into the same studio environment and yeah yep. um and so you know kind of in a pretty bold uh move i started my own firm um i was 26 years old i 
I'd been out of school just long enough to take the licensing exam or I had enough work experience to take the licensing exam. So, um, I, I started Skylab and I was, you know, one person and, uh, I had freshly had my license and I was back in a city where I didn't really know too many people and didn't definitely didn't have any clients. And, um, you know, just, just decided to sort of hang out the, the shingle and, and go for it. Um, and, you know, it was, it was, I, I tell the story that, you know, I spent a few months setting up the office and getting the computers together and getting all the binders because at that time, like the internet wasn't really <laughs> right. how we did work. It was right. all binders and uh, spec binders. Filing cabinets and stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, and, uh, and yeah, the computer monitor on my desk was like the size of a refrigerator. Um, and anyway, after I got that all set up, I was starting to get nervous because we didn't have any clients and and I was really fortunate to get a, a call from an old client that had shifted companies and had a um an office space to do in Santa Monica, California. And um so I flew down and and took on that project and you know really never have looked back since. Um it's been a pretty consistent kind of ramping up of people and scale and um you know opportunities from there. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that this is not a typical uh, path of a of an architect starting his or her own firm. Correct. <laughs> Usually, yeah. you see somebody kind of working for a bigger firm or sort of as part of a sort of uh, uh, you know more prominent studio, and then kind of you know ventures on right uh, in, in in a certain specialty. You know, maybe with a handful of clients and things like that. Right. Um, That's yeah, definitely the path. Notwithstanding all of that, obviously, um, you know, Skylab has has done well. So what what do you think are some of the things that have helped you guys, you know, get in those early days, you know, overcome some of those early hurdles and and get to the point where, you know, you were a viable business? Sure. Um, yeah. So when, you know, in the early years, there was a kind of a combination of things happening. One um, was just really focusing on doing a great job for, you know, whatever project I could get my hands on. Um, you know, I did a lot of kitchen remodels and uh, cl master closets and, you know, pretty unglamorous uh, um, work from a scale and program point of view, but great clients and, you know, was able to, you know, at that point I was just so happy to be doing what I love that it, you know, wasn't, I wasn't focused on the money. I wasn't focused on the scale. I was just excited to be working on, on what I was passionate about. So, so I was just sort of snowballing through, um, projects and, you know, making the best projects I could out of whatever opportunity that, um, we had. And then, um, uh, we were working out of a house up in the West Hills, um, in Portland and, the drive up to the house, uh, there was a, a piece of land for sale and I drove by it, you know, hundred times and the you could tell that they were having trouble selling it and um so finally one day i pulled the car over and i parked and i walked up on this hill and realized that the site had just you know the most incredible view of downtown portland and it was very steep but it felt like oh, this is this could be a really great um way to accelerate the process for us of having um built portfolio so i was you know i came up with the idea of buying the land and and building a spec house on it and and designing it and constructing it and developing it and selling it and and so i made a, a you know a, a pretty aggressive offer and um got the land for a really good price and 
set to work on um, building this this house. And so uh, that that experience, you know, really also sort of set the the tone for the company where you know it was it was uh, design build, so it was hands on, um, it was entrepreneurial. Um, you know, it it was fast forwarding to having um, you know as sophisticated a built product and out there that we could um and to sort of get it accelerate from a marketing point of view the right. um presence of the firm in, in the city and um and so that you know that project uh you know didn't have it had its pitfalls but it was ultimately really successful um it went through september 11th uh and lost the, the buyer and then we ended up moving into it for a little while and yeah. then ultimately <laughs> found some great clients and you know, but that um, that process was really fundamental. So, um, you know, the sort of DNA of our firm is really built out of kind of those two things. One is you know the entrepreneurial side and finding our own projects. And uh, you know, we, now we have um, four commercial properties around the city that we've developed and own and operate. Um, the um, and you know, in addition to client work. Which has always been about, you know, really trying to lever up every project into the yeah. the the most potential, uh, the strongest potential outcome in each scenario. So whether it's small or or big, it's it's always about really uh, doing a very thoughtful job and and really trying to over deliver in in every in every opportunity. Yeah. Do you think that your approach? I mean, you obviously have a have a very different approach. I mean, you own property, you develop property, you, you know, design it, right? Um, do you think that approach has, you know, given you uh, an edge in a certain way? Do you think it sort of obviously makes you guys stand apart, but is that has that been kind of a selling point that's helped you get, you know, different kinds of clients and kind of, you know, grow the business perhaps in a way that's, you know, faster? Um, I do. Uh, I think the difference is you know all, all architects or you know especially people leading uh, firms wear a lot of hats so it's like I, I don't think that's necessarily that unusual um you know it but i do think that having hands-on construction experience having hands-on development experience you know like i often write pro formas for projects as i'm designing them and so i'm sort of doing the developer math with the uh creative um that's fairly unusual, I think. And um, I think it allows us to put more innovative concepts on the table and, you know, convince our clients that we, we understand the difference between the sort of baseline conventional approach and what we're proposing. And there's integrated thinking embedded in the, the project, you know, to demonstrate that. So, so we're not sort of leaving it up for them to figure that out. We're helping, um, that process along by bringing that sort of uh, multi-layered experience to the table. Um, you know, in a lot of our projects, um, the the program is sort of flexible for a certain period of time. I mean, I think for for a lot of architects, you know, projects start with a budget and a program and yeah. a site, and and that's you know their their task is ultimately to sort of solve that puzzle. You know, for us, we're often starting before that. Um, and when there might be a site, you know, and there there might be a budget, maybe not, you know, it, maybe it's it, there's an idea, but it's not um, fully formed. Um, but oftentimes there's not a fully formed program. And maybe there's a set of 
kind of goals and aspirations, but we come in and really help um, sort of do the research, think think deeply about the place, uh, put you know thoughtful uh, concepts together that that ideate on program, um, and then help sort of facilitate the process to get to that point when you've got you know a site, a budget, and a program, and you're ready to actually design the building. So our, yeah. our work often starts before that, and and I think that you know having that. Um, richer experience uh really helps that process yeah and i'm gonna go off script a, you know a little bit here because you've you've introduced this concept of kind of you you try to be really thoughtful about uh, you know programming um everything in the world has changed in the last three years i would argue um including how we utilize space um how has that affected the way that you know you work with your clients you look at projects going going forward yeah um yeah definitely it's been a dynamic environment yeah. <laughs> for sure um you know uh you know I, I mean i think the biggest takeaway with covid is you know it, it sort of points people back to some of the fundamentals that i think have always been important to me and have always been important kind of in our work. Like, like our work is, is always focused on um, connection to nature and, you know, blending indoor and outdoor spaces and building community and, um, you know, creating um, places that, that are really, um, you know, attractive and influential for, for people to spend time in. And, and I think, you know, the pandemic was sort of like uh, really focused or, or, or helped kind of um, people see the difference between those things. So I think people, you know, started rejecting being in places where they were disconnected from nature or, you know, being right. in places where they were too crowded or, you know, in, in places that weren't put together well. And it's like the, the idea of having to, you know, live in uh, your house for two years and, you know, uh, it really highlighted um, people's understanding of what kind of space they surround themselves with. So I think from that point of view, um, that really, you know, made what we do more valuable, maybe is, is a way of thinking about it. Um, you know, I, and then I think in each type of development, like there's a different theme. Like for us, um, you know, we, we, we're building out a new headquarters space for us now. Which is great, you know. We, we've we've used our our company's um, studio space as kind of an anchor tenancy to move through some of our real estate investments. Um, so we're moving into the third building that uh, we at least own some portion of. Um, and but we're this one Skylabs owns a hundred percent for the first time. Um, the, me and my my four other partners and. Um, and so you know we're really investing in the next space as you know could be our permanent home um and really a space that reflects you know not only kind of what we've learned and and um over the 24 years that we've, we've been yeah. firm but but how are we responding to kind of what we've learned in the pandemic and so um it's super exciting it's a really fun environment it's you know we kind of describe it as like a playground for designers there's yeah uh, fabrication space there's um uh you know studio space there's a full kitchen 
vegetable garden, uh, outdoor event space. Um, there's athletic activities like pickleball and uh, table tennis and basketball hoop and, you know, a lot of sort of communal space like uh, outdoor fire pits and um, covered outdoor spaces and just, a, you know, incredible opportunity to build really a, a studio in a garden and, you know, make it a place where you're really going to want to spend time. You know, it's it's going to be really magnetic place for for both people that are in the studio to spend time together and then also for for visitors and um one of the other key pieces is that we um we have an art gallery in the building that that we're not operating but it's a um it's a tenant that that is a really highly respected um gallery in in the northwest and um and so we're, we also have that whole influence of those artists coming in and, and spending time and they have access to our studio and the garden and, you know, and it's about this sort of mixing of ideas and backgrounds and people and, you know, really um, trying to move beyond work is just someplace you go to, to get your work done. But, you know, this will be a place where you can, you know, really be inspired and, and uh, have influences from outside of uh, the studio coming in and, and then how, yeah, the, the event programming is, um, something we're all really excited about here. Cause I like, you know, Portland is definitely, um, struggling on the recovery side and, and, you know, from the pandemic and just the opportunity to sort of be able to feed, um, events and culture into the yeah. city, um, is something that we're all, uh, really excited about. What's very interesting about what you're describing is, in many ways, you've um, kind of you know dissected the way that your employees and you know your partners work, and have created sort of a setting that you know um, you know really sort of makes sense you know beyond just the you know daily task of you know doing whatever you know everybody's doing. You know, it's almost in a way sort of a template of maybe how other companies should you know look look at this. Um, uh, how do you how do you manifest this to your your you know clients? I mean, obviously, it is a bit of a showcase, but also right you yeah. you want to be cognizant of what what they're trying to do. But at the same time, it's it's sort of a great example of like, look how it how it makes sense. This is this is you know you should consider this as well. Right. I mean, this is the first time that really we're doing for ourselves um, what we often do for others um and so it's, it really is a great sort of demonstration project that way um but i think what's been really interesting about it you know i've been um sort of previewing the space with um, some of our clients like i was there today with a client and you know describing um not just how it's going to help us but sort of how it's going to open our lens and be able to help them and um i think the biggest piece there is on the fabrication side um the idea that that we're gonna be um be able to prototype um whether it's you know custom material solutions or material palettes or you know mock-ups of uh full-size rooms or 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 details or walls or fully you know fabricating uh components for projects or um prefabricated buildings and um, you know, all of that can now happen as part of our, our core services, which is really interesting. So it's going back to sort of, 
you know, making as a central part of the design process. Um, and, you know, I think that's going to really allow us to improve the outcomes for, for our clients. Um, yeah. And they're, they're definitely excited about that. And, you know, construction, it's just, it's just getting harder and harder to do things well and affordably. And, you know, there's a lot of challenges. And so to be able to sort of, uh, in-house work through that process and then um, sort of demystify it so that the partners you do bring on, you know, you can bring them on at, uh, you know, they, they can perceive with less risk and better, uh, better price points and more efficiency. Cause we've, we're really working through a lot of that yeah. um, before we engage with them. One of your uh, more recent projects is the uh, Serena Williams building at Nike uh, in Beaverton. Um, tell us a little bit about that because from you know everything that we've seen and we've covered and seen the photos of it, it's clearly this manifestation of you know um, indoor outdoor, right? Um, Nike is a very special firm, I think, in that sense as well. But I would love to hear kind of a little bit about that project and. Um, you know how it came to be, number one, but also how it evolved into into the final project that that it is today. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So that uh, the Serena Building is definitely, um, well, it's definitely the biggest project that we've we've accomplished. Um, it it clocks in at a, a million square feet. Um, it was about an eight year project for us, and um, uh, you know if you if you. If you don't know Portland, Oregon, Nike's one of the uh, few Fortune 500 companies here. There, there's a huge legacy of creative folks that that work in Portland that have, um, in some way, been sort of, uh, you know, a collaborator of Nike. Uh, you know, uh, somebody broke away from Nike and started a firm. There's a huge ecosystem of, of creatives around Nike, and so we, we, uh, you know, probably almost 20 years ago we're really lucky to get our first project in that ecosystem, which was a, a marketing space in New York city on Elizabeth street. Um, and we spent, you know, I don't know, probably four, four or five months building out this great space for them there. And, um, and, and really learned a ton about the brand and the brand's history and made a lot of relationships there. And that really set us on, to you know, sort of 20 years of various projects from with them um ranging from uh let's see we did the like a like a temporary exhibit at the nba all-star game where they launched the uh, air jordan uh we did a um a, a, also a temporary exhibit at the u.s olympic trials in eugene which was a, a huge project um uh, called Camp Victory, where they, you know, essentially launched the um, Olympic track outfits and and, right. and footwear, um, and uh, during the trials and, and 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 you know, in addition to doing work on their retail programs and doing work on on some of their um, innovation spaces on, on campus, and uh, in parallel to that, we also um, did a series of residential projects for some of their. Um, you know, creatives and uh, the most important one being John Hoke, who's the, the head of design there. And so um, the Serena building was underway uh, with another design firm and they were struggling with them and they were an out of town firm and they really wanted somebody local. And so they, they asked John uh, for a couple names and we were one of the folks that were, were put up for that project. And, 
you know, very quickly kind of went from getting the phone call to all of a sudden being on the project. And <laughs> right. uh, we were like I think 26 people at that time. And, um, you know, project of that scale, we were doing the full interiors, full furniture, all the interior finishes, uh, full architecture package, just, you know, five restaurants, how, uh, office space for 3000 people, um, merchandising center, that is essentially where they prototype retail spaces. That's the size of a large shopping mall, you know, just on its own. Um, so huge, a huge, uh, kind of task, um, which at one point, you know, we had 28 people working on only that project. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, More than the firm uh, when you started yeah. it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, but, but it was really kind of right up our alley in the sense that, um, you know, the, the building was an opportunity to demonstrate, um, or well, to build on both the history of Nike and the brand and help tell that story. It was the biggest building on campus or is the building biggest building on campus. It has a high rise, uh, component to it, which is there's only one high rise in the County and it's a part of our building. And so the idea of building a tower kind of on campus, you know, brought along with it a lot of sort of, uh, responsibility to to find you know a meaning and in, in the architecture and um and it also had serena which you know she's you know the, the greatest female athlete of all time and um ha has an incredible story on her own so you know for our work our work is always you know focused in three things it's in uh, narrative storytelling um strategy and like construction uh strategy and regenerative design, you know, which is kind of collaborating with nature. And so this was a, like an incredible opportunity to do those three things. So tell the story of Nike and Serena, um, look at their, their, the site was uh, surface parking. So reclaiming these surface parking lots um, for people and landscape. Um, and then um, also just delivering a massive project, um, you know, and trying to determine what types of processes and strategies were needed to, to sort of deliver the right amount of design, the right sure. amount of complexity um, to to meet the the price point, and also even just the procurement. I mean, just 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 finding uh, partners that could you know procure and install that many windows, for example, was just you know a really significant challenge. Um, yeah, so. Uh, so we were really excited to get the project and, um, we put a, a handful of, uh, schemes together and Mark Parker, the CEO at the time and, and Serena and a, and a couple of other, um, John Hoke and, uh, Tinker Hatfield, they were all sort of involved in the selection process and the scheme. And one of the schemes that we presented, um, was a building that was in the shape of a sort of a branch form or it was a, a wing with, was, was, what we were calling it and and it was essentially a, a metaphor to the winged goddess nike um but also of the sort of streams uh combining to form a river and um uh players on a team coming together to form a team right this there's a really rich in metaphor and um and they were really excited about that concept and we were really excited that that was the one they selected and and then we spent the next, you know, seven years kind of bringing that to life um, and telling telling the story of 
kind of Nike's history and Serena's um, path um, in an integrated way through the architecture and interiors. Part of your storytelling um, over the last couple of years, you guys also have begun working on a monograph. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and sort of you know the meaning behind it? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we just published um, our monograph. Uh, it's called "The Nature of Buildings." It's um, published by Dames and Hudson, and uh, it's essentially you know captures the first uh, twenty years of of our projects and. Um, it was, you know, a project that we had kind of been tinkering with for for a really long time, and we're having, you know, it's it's an interesting task to take on because you really have to be introspective and and think about um, use it as, or from my point of view, you should use it as an opportunity to to learn about yourselves and and to you know hopefully deliver something that you know is insightful to yourself, but also to the to the the people that. Um, we'll see the book um, that's different than what you can see on our website or different than maybe something you've, you've read in an article or, you know, it's, it's sort of our opportunity to, to really connect with our audience and, and ourselves. Um, and so we, you know, we think a lot about our work as um, like choreography and uh, there's some, definitely some improvisational aspects of our work. And so we, we often kind of um, think about music and, the active sort of composing music and composing architecture. And there's a lot of parallels there. And we even, we have a band at Skylab and, and uh, that, that plays music together. And um, so when we set we went through a, a lot of different um, concepts and ultimately landed on this idea that our monograph could be um, formed as kind of a nod to like a double or triple album, um, you know, something like, uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall or Led Zeppelin's Physical Graffiti. Like like know. they used to do the actual, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> like how, you know, you put the songs together and they, they mean something as a whole right. and and the the experience of getting and interacting with that, that product, you know, was a way of, you know, it was pre-podcast and pre-internet. And, you know, you that's how you learned about the artist was through the liner notes. And, uh, sure. And so we we really took kind of in a fun way that on as our format. Um, and so the book is organized uh, on A side, B side, C side, D side, you know, kind of parallel to a, um, an album. We have collaborators of ours that are um, integrated in the book through um, sort of uh, uh, conversations that we we. Um, we had uh, in some of our spaces with them, and then also through um, some writing that we we um, uh, hired some folks to do, and you know didn't like prescribe the outcome, but just sort of trying to to layer on um, meaning, and 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 I think you know really the process really helped us sort of get at kind of what's the secret sauce behind our approach to projects, and ultimately how how can we now turn that loose in the studio in a way where that's it's actually how we're designing so rather than it, it being sort of themes that happen to be there if you're looking now it's how we're actually organizing our design process how we're communicating our value to our clients um and you know ultimately i'm really interested in skylab um you know being around for a long time and so you know the work of of you know this isn't about any individual here 
but about the company and what does the company do? And if we can help clarify that, then we can, you know, we can all be um, kind of aiming for the same North star um, in our individual work. And then we'll allow people to, to take on stronger and stronger roles and, you know, independently at the studio. Sure. Yeah. Um, it seems at this point, um, Jeff, like the firm has kind of reached a new level in a sense that as you've been growing and evolving and, you know, uh, getting bigger projects, more meaningful projects, um, uh, you are going to launch your, your new headquarters or maybe you already launched it earlier this year. Um, sort of the, you know, monograph is kind of like a, like a, like a mile marker, if you will, right? In terms of, uh, you know, reaching a certain level of, uh, uh, you know, respect throughout the industry. What What's next for the firm now? Yeah, um, well, I think o over the last uh, four or five years, we've been really fortunate. Um, I mean, certainly the Nike project is an example of this, but where we, the scale of our thinking has been um, sort of taken to the next level, you know, going moving beyond just a building and moving to master planning um you know urban plans or sort of urban scale plans whether or not you know it's actually an, an urban plan or a rural plan but this idea of sort of regenerative master planning has taken hold and um and so we're really now even even you know i kind of described getting in and helping form the program well now we're getting in even earlier than that and, and really looking at the overall place um and you know that's been really exciting um we're working on a, a project in des moines washington which is on the south side of the SeaTac uh airport where you know initially we were hired to to kind of connect the marina uh in the city to the downtown which happened to be kind of up a bluff and there was some circuitous connections but no direct connection and um, through this regenerative master planning process, not only did we kind of put, you know, a, a good solution forward for that stair and um, kind of park and connective piece, but we also zoomed out and said, hey, you know, it so happens that all the stormwater from downtown is is coming through our site and dumping directly into the Puget Sound untreated. You know, we should really expand the scope of this project to tackle that piece and so uh through a, a handful of you know uh, presentations and meetings with the community we really built this great energy around you know sort of ex expanding the focus and and so now this you know relatively small project has now become this really meaningful project and it's you know the community it's been the thing that has really ignited the community behind the project um it's also allowed them to seek, you know, grants and outside funding, and and um, and now we're actually moving into construction of of the steps and ramps, um, and it's that opportunity to sort of uh, make sure you're not leaving any, you know, stone unturned in a way, like, you know, things that might seem like they're givens, you know, questioning them and uh, finding ways to make the project more impactful. Um, that that's now turning into you know uh, a big part of uh, of the work we're doing, and so we're now bringing that to um, a project in Alaska. Uh, we're working on Sandpoint, Idaho, a whole uh, plan for their um, downtown and, and waterfront, um, 
And so, you know, this ability to step up again and scale, I guess, is, is for me um, really exciting. And I, I think you really have a chance of, you know, making that much more impact. And, you know, the, the, the difference being, you know, that we're not just creating more development, we're trying to create smarter development and development that's in a stronger balance with natural systems and uh, with, uh, with people and what people value. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of room for innovation there. As we close our conversation here, um, Jeff, one of the reasons we started this podcast was to try to introduce, you know, a you know, younger group of people entering the industry to leaders like you and um, you know, you know, considering who is who is listening, you know, what would you you know, say to a young architect, try to enter the industry today, you know, um, advice, um, your path was obviously a little, you know, unique and different. Um, but in all of that, you know, what are some lessons learned that you think um, architects entering the industry today should be aware of? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, you know, there's a couple levels to that. I mean, I'm often um, promoting architects getting hands-on experience, I think that is incredibly valuable. Um, one of the things that will be exciting at our shop with having fabrication as part of our studio is that we'll be able to do that in-house now where you know architects will be able to do uh, trades work in, in, in their own studio. So I think that's a, a big, big piece. I think learning um, development from the, the client side sort of you know, I think a lot, a lot of what I spend my time doing is trying to put myself in the shoes of the contractor or the shoes of the, the client. Um, I mean, one thing that is abundantly clear is, is Murphy's law is the law. So, you know, anything that's left undefined is likely to turn out differently than, than you think, or you, you might have thought, um, the, so I spend a lot of time, um, kind of promoting uh or mentoring people about anticipating um you know concerns or challenges or you know construction issues you know long before uh others can see them so you know when you're giving a presentation to a community think about all the people in the room and what they're concerned about and address it you know before the, before they have to ask the question you know or if a client if you're at, if you're tackling if you're proposing something that's going to be really you know, challenging to a client, really spend the time to think about why and uh, make your presentation focused on on that. Um, you know, or same thing with somebody that's fabricating something. There, you know, think about why all the reasons that they might think that this isn't the right way to do it, and you know, build um, build respect and trust and excitement with them, and you know, through you know, explaining that through, through that proactive proactivity, um, there's just, it's probably the most valuable thing I think you can do in this career because problems are really hard to solve, you know, once, once you let them linger for too long. And, um, yeah, so I, I think that's probably some sage advice. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Um, really uh, enjoy learning more about Skylab. Uh, stay well, and we look forward to hearing more about your exciting projects in the future. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And if, uh, if anyone's ever in Portland, Oregon, come visit our studio.
That was another episode of the Real Perspectives podcast, and we thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Conversations like these help us comprehend our evolving industry better and hopefully provide a perspective that helps you understand the dynamics of commercial real estate. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show and tell your colleagues about it. That is the best way to spread the news and help us remain relevant across the industry. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>